welcome back to another episode of N-Express Nintendo Podcast, the official Nintendo podcast of Goombastomp.com. I'm your host, Cameron Daxon. Joining us, we have games editor Mark Kalaroff. I don't think Metroid Dread will win. Wow. Already. Already <laughs> with the Metroid <laughs> Dread shade. Uh, yeah, that recency bias is a real thing. It's, uh, it's you know, we, we get that. Also with us, we have indie games editor Campbell Gill. I think that Metroid Dread will win. Excellent. Uh, so for the next hour and 45 minutes, we're going to have Campbell and Mark debate this point. Uh, stay with us. No, that's that's not at all what's happening. Uh, we are going to have kind of a end-of-the-year rundown, but probably in a couple of weeks. We we always source over at Goomastomp. We always kind of create a best-of list of the year. We have it. We're still in the process of, of creating that list with all the different writers and contributors to the website. So we don't have... We're not going to do that discussion this week, but stay tuned. We will come back to, you know, a thoughtful and thought-provoking discussion of our games of the year. That said, that's not what's happening right now. Um, <laughs> listen, Metroid Dread, whether or not it's going to win Game of the Year is up for some debate. We do have the Game Awards. This uh, At the time of this recording, it's going to be in two, two days. We have the Game Awards. Metroid Dread is up for Game of the Year alongside a bunch of other games. I don't know. I, Metroid Dread, I think, kind of the 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 concept of it, I think, is what's carrying it so far. Just the, the idea that a new 2D Metroid was announced and came out within the same six months is incredible. I, I wonder if that is enough for it to be deemed Game of the Year at Jeff Keighley's Game Awards. We'll find out, I suppose. It's a strong contender. It's a very good game. That said, none of us have gone back to playing it in the couple of months since it's been out. And I, I think we've all just been busy with other things and other games. Uh, at least I know I have. I don't know about you guys. Um, but let's talk about something that is out and that we have been playing. Mark, you want to take us through Big Brain Academy? Oh, of course. So Big Brain Academy, Brain vs. Brain is something I did not expect to really, really, really enjoy this year. Oh, it's wow. a Nintendo's last title of the year. It's only $29.99. And I think it's one of the... I wouldn't say it's one of the best multiplayer games on Switch, but it's one of the most thought-provoking, in a sense, that you could play it with your family. Hold for on. Is, is, that, is, that a, is that a Campbell Gill style pun? It was. Okay. <laughs> it was. <laughs> you can't see. You can't see because it's just audio right now, but there is a, a lone tear just <laughs> slowly falling down my face. I'm just so proud. <laughs> Sorry, of Mark. Course. I interrupted you. You, you no, said it was no, one no. of the most. One of the it's, most thought-provoking games to play with your family. It is truly a big brain joke. Sorry. Okay, go ahead. It is, because the game, it's so interesting to see how this series has evolved, because Big Brain Academy has always been something that's part of, uh, you know, Nintendo and Iwata's, uh, you know, the Blue Ocean strategy, where it's like bridging a gap between casual and hardcore gamers. And it's funny, because after all those years, I think this entry finally perfects what something that series was just trying to do during that time and it's that it has this accommodation to its difficulty where literally i'm not even kidding a five-year-old and a 35-year-old can go up against each other in this game and the odds are even and the enjoyment is even because the game allows you to choose your difficulty between each match so you can progressively challenge yourself or you can have someone who's perhaps on what they call the Sprout difficulty, which is the lowest, and someone who's on the Super Elite class difficulty, which will test them at the highest. 
but the game is all about memory and math type minigames. It's like the other big brain games. There's really not much to say about its content, but it's the way in which it presents it. Because not only is it super, it's just super approachable. It's, it's that era of Nintendo where they were trying to make everything super approachable to everyone. And it really succeeds in doing so. And it's a shame because this game is perfect for Switch, but I feel like it would have been a major hit 10 years ago. Interesting. Explain, explain that. Well, it's just the way the game is. It's it's a game, you know, it's... So, in Big Brain Academy, Brain vs. Brain, you have um, five different disciplinaries of, like, lightning-quick intelligence and just, like, going through different games. Each uh, disciplinary has four different exercises, they call them. And it's simple stuff. It's, like, identify the animal or, like, a math mallet game where you, like, have to get the right calculation by using select numbers and knocking them out. And then there's other stuff like, oh, it's like a perspective type game where it's uh, what angle is the object being shown from? And it's all this simple type stuff, but it's just the fact that the age gap doesn't really mean anything or the educational gap doesn't really mean anything because you can have a fair competition with this game no matter if you have a college degree or not. And it's just, it's interesting how this game was set up because... On the surface, it would seem like, yeah, like someone who's five years old is going to have the massive advantage over someone with, you know, the college degree, since it seems like the questions are going to be a lot more lenient and simple. But in reality, it really does accommodate for your skill level. And I just find that fascinating how it, like this is the point in which they were able to do it, but they didn't think about doing that years ago. Hmm. I yeah I, I uh, who knows <laughs> That's, uh, yeah it's one of those like it's difficult to speculate on 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 the timeline of these kinds of things. Um, what would you say is the is the draw if 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 any to uh, to this kind of a thing? You said you've been uh, go ahead go ahead. It's it's literally outsmarting your opponent. It's it's funny because the games are I'm not even kidding they're so simple the games they're so incredibly simple like it's literally like it'll give you a stack of numbers and it's like five two seven whatever the heck and then it's like added up to seventeen which ones are you gonna take out and then the second you make a wrong move it that's it like your match is over and you wait for your opponent to finish the goal is to essentially get a hundred points in a match and it's just. The games are so simple, but you get so into them. Like, there's just some, like, draw into it where you know, like, it, it, like how hard could a perspective or some math puzzle that only goes up to 23, like, how hard could it be? And then you sit down and play it, and you want to kill the person next to you because <laughs> they're able to outsmart you faster. And there's, like, different ways to solve each one sometimes. Or sometimes it's something stupid where it's, like, they give you a spotlight and you have to, like, wiggle it around and then be, like, okay, which animal appeared the most in the spotlight? And it's, like, you literally are, like, just mashing the analog stick to just figure it out as quick as possible. And it's really an intelligence test, as Big Brain Academy should be. But I think the competitiveness of this title makes it one of the best entries in terms of multiplayer. Because sure. it just, it not only does it make the competition steeper and just more engaging, but it's the fact that they have completed this, you know, this gap between, <laughs> I guess, educational ability, you know, like cognitive ability, like, I don't know what else to call it, but 
I guess, you know, it, it's just, I Mark find has, it. Mark I, has not completed the Big Brain Academy. Let's, uh. I'm just imagining this game being used as like a strategy in cognitive behavioral therapy or something, like deep psychological treatment using this game. I, I just find it funny how it's like the games in this are so simple. And then it's like my girlfriend and I are having as great of a time as we would playing Mario Kart. And I just find that funny because it's stupid stuff. It's literally like figure out a puzzle that gets you to 23 or which shapes go into a shadow. It's like all this stupid stuff. But it makes sense the way it's made because if a child were playing with a parent, they can equally be competitive and have a good time and it has that educational value to it. It's just, it's very well designed in that matter, even if the content is so, 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 so simple. So, Mark, if there really is so much educational value in this game, did you learn anything from your time playing it? Well, I'm not going to learn anything, but, like, it <laughs> definitely, like, it gets, you know, it gets the serotonin and neurons, like, going, you know? <laughs> Get like, those it, neurons you going. Said that, you said yeah. that so defensively. I'm not going to learn anything, okay? You're that's so not, above this, yeah. That's not Cameron, what I'm about, I had no okay? idea what a zebra was, obviously, until yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Never even heard of a zebra. <laughs> <laughs> An oh animal with stripes? What? So, it, it kind of, this game, okay, correct me if I'm wrong, this kind of sounds like a Jackbox game. Yeah, in a matter of speaking, except it's like, you know, that Nintendo approachable Blue Ocean, like, type aesthetic and appearance and structure to it. So it's a game that literally, it doesn't matter if you're too or 90 like mm. you'll be able to easily look at it you can figure it out you could play it with touch controls or you could play it with buttons like oh i love it's that. just a game that all around is for everyone and it gets the job done and it's a competitive game that use you know it utilizes simple stuff like math and memory and just analysis but it's it's funny because there really is nothing else to say about the game but they have somehow made it extremely competitive. Yeah, competitive, <laughs> this, not just competitive, like, but like, but compelling, it sounds like. Yeah, but compelling, and it, it creates a fair competition, whether you're, like I said, whether you're five or 35, there's a fair competition here because of how it allows the player to adjust their difficulty every single match. And it's just interesting that the other games have tried to do this, but you know, it was just all it was is a matter of splitting the screen and letting each player play the game. And all you had to do was say, like, OK, what difficulty do you want to play at? And it still makes the competition even. And I just find it fascinating how they never did this before, because hmm. I feel like this is something that would have been on the Wii or DS. And meanwhile, it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, I just did a little, uh, read the Wikipedia page for the Big Brain Academy series, and it was on the Wii and DS way back in the mm-hmm. early years of those systems' life. Yeah, it was one of those games with, uh, since the game, yeah, they it came has out. been. Yeah. It, it was one of those games with, like, Nintendogs and, uh, mm-hmm. oh my god, what was it called? Dr. Um, Brain, Brain Age. Age. It, yeah, it was go. with Brain Age. I don't know what the guy's name was. Dr. But, uh, Kawashima? I think? Yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. It, it was, you know, it was part of that lineup of Nintendo games where it was called the Blue Ocean Strategy for Iwata, and it was about bridging the gap between casual and hardcore gamers. But it's funny because I think this game has managed to do it like 14 years later, and it did it better than some of the other entries that I've played. 
Yeah, it's so interesting for a game like this to come back and get a new life on Switch now, mm-hmm. of all times, 14 years And it's later. not being advertised. It's mm-hmm. at a half price of Nintendo's typical premium. It's, you know... And it has the content, you know, it's not flourishing with content. There's not like a million things to do. Like, like I said, it's five different disciplinaries, four different activities in each one. There's really not much to say about it. There's not that much multiplayer variety, but because it's all about competition, but it's just what's needed is there and it works. And at the price and at its aspirations and at everything it's trying to do in the bigger picture it deserves a lot more credit than what it should get. Interesting. I, I think it's funny. Like, obviously, we, we talk about, a, like, dozens and dozens of games on the show. I think uh, it, it, I think not enough attention is paid to the fact that, like, hey, sometimes a game has a, has a goal and nails it. And, like, that's it. You yeah, know, like there's really like, nothing else to say, <laughs> especially in this age of like, you know, uh, for example, uh, obviously we're not going to talk about this in depth on a Nintendo podcast, but like Halo Infinite, like just came out or is <laughs> is in the process of coming out, right? Mm-hmm. So the multiplayer has been kind of like had a kind of a soft release over the last couple of weeks. The campaign is coming out very very soon, but it's like it almost feels kind of like a beta. You know, so like there's been a lot of, I don't know if you want to call it conflict, but there's been a lot of, um, I don't know, a lot of a lot of back and forth among fans and people who are playing the, the, the earliest version of the multiplayer versus, you know, reviewers who are playing the final version, that kind of thing. But it's like, and then you have stuff kind of off to the side, like Big Brain Academy for Switch, where it's like, hey, we know exactly what we're going for, and we've completely 100% nailed it it's like that kind of a thing i feel like gets lost a little bit in the shuffle of these big triple a releases i don't know is, is does that make sense no that makes perfect sense i mean nintendo's yeah. not advertising this game at all i mean i didn't even know yeah. it existed and you know we follow nintendo content every single day yeah. i had no idea this game was coming out until when you know for behind the scenes for the website when i draft the the game reviews we need for the month and I was like, there's a new Big Brain Academy coming out? Like, how did I not know this? And it's funny because it seems like no one does. Every time I mention it to someone, they're like, that series is coming back? Like, yeah, and it's out. Yeah, I feel like that's a that's kind of a that's kind of a switch thing, right? Like, oh, this this kind of long forgotten slash beloved series has gotten some kind of an update or a remaster or a sequel and it's on Switch? Like, what the hell? I love that. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of a few other games that Nintendo has put out recently. Like, what comes to mind immediately is Game Builder Garage, how that was another, like, smaller game, half the price tag of a full-priced retail project. Um, Didn't get a lot of marketing behind it, but a bit like Big Brain uh, Academy, it also was just a very modest game, didn't have a lot of of frills or anything attached to it, but it just did what it set out to do. It didn't get, you know, big-budget marketing campaigns or anything to that effect, but it's nice to see Nintendo pushing out these kind of more compact experiences alongside, you know, bigger, more more exciting, per se, releases. So it's a very interesting thing that we're seeing Nintendo do recently. Yeah, I, I want to uh, I want to draw attention to something you, you mentioned. You, you kind of tossed this off, Mark, but I think it's worth kind of going back to. The fact that this game 
is fully playable with touch controls is actually no, <laughs> no yeah. seriously it's that's funny very, because the yeah. game is designed with like big letters and big numbers and colorful mm. objects and everything is color-coded to like a certain degree and it's funny because i think the game works better with touch controls i feel like this wow. is the type of game where you set the switch down on a table and you're able to sit there and just compete with someone and i think it's the better way to play because it makes sure that you know, you're not like wiggling around the analog stick and being like, oh, I got to get to this or I got to get to that. Like, no, you just literally just, you know, <laughs> as I'm doing the motion sitting in my chair, just like rapidly <laughs> just taking your hand and just slamming the switch down to instantly hit the number or the letter or the object or the, the penguin or whatever the hell you have to hit, you know, just slam that penguin, <laughs> slam that penguin. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's it's uh, I, I, I sometimes forget um the games that don't have touch controls on switch and yeah, me too. <laughs> uh it's weird it's like what a what a fantastic feature like i i love using the touch controls i think it's i think it's great but it's uh it's it's just funny to to load up a game and be like oh i i forgot this doesn't have this i guess i have to use the you know if i'm playing in the handheld or something like that like uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Slay the Spire doesn't utilize the touch touch controls, right? I don't believe so. I have right? no idea. Uh, and it should if it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, hold on. Now I have to Google this while we're while we're doing the podcast. I apologize. Slay the Spire switch touch controls. Does that work? Because I don't want to be. The only other game it. I could think of with touch controls was like. Mario Galaxy, where you. Can... I was I was just mm-hmm. about to say Mario right. Galaxy. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've been going back to that Mario 3D collection uh, lately. It's so funny. I literally can't think of anything else. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Like, I know most games support touchscreen for like you know when you're typing something in a keyboard, but mm-hmm. in terms of actual UI yeah, navigation, the eShop. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah, no, I never use the eShop while docked if I can help it. <laughs> It's just so much more convenient to be able to touch, you know, just actually touch the keys. And whenever I play yeah. a game in handheld mode and I open up the menu, you know, just the start menu, I kind of implicitly expect or hope that I'll be able to just touch my way through it because it's just more convenient that way. 90% of the time, I just end up touching my Switch screen like a fool, but... Uh... Like a fool! <laughs> but really, yeah. it's something that more games should do, I feel like. It's I mean... funny. I, I, I just Googled Slay the Spire touch controls, and apparently it, it does work, but apparently they're just just bad not very not very well optimized although in in the process of googling that i did one of the top results was a quora um a quora.com inquiry Uh where somebody asked how come the nintendo switch games don't use the touchscreen function so it's like clearly this is a (laughs) clearly this is a thing we all want is just for more touchscreen functionality and i get it it's it's one of the things that has dogged every nintendo console for the last you know 10 years mm-hmm. is developers not third-party developers specifically not being able to utilize all the features that nintendo has built into the console like that's that's always been an issue you know mm-hmm. um ever since ever since the I, mean, I guess we can go back as far as the as the gamecube really because developers were limited to those what do they even call them the little mini discs and, and not wanting to do that, which is mm-hmm. one of the reasons why. Well, you can argue the same thing with the Nintendo 64 and cartridges. Sure. You know, yeah, yeah. You can go back as far. Yeah, you can even go back as far as that. Absolutely. Um, 
Yeah, and of course the Wii U popularized that trend as well. Like, like developers not knowing how or not wanting to mm-hmm. yeah. interact to with I that. I mean, uh, I think the Wii U was a slightly touchpad. different case because it wasn't like the developers didn't want to put in the effort. It's like they couldn't even figure out what to do with the thing. Sure, you know, like I, I think everybody can realize that you know touchscreen menus are helpful or yeah. um implementing hd rumble is more immersive right like i wish more game more games would feature hd rumble as well but yeah, i totally understand totally. that if you're making a multi-platform game it's extra time and resources to work on these somewhat niche features that wouldn't really add a ton to the game so i understand where developers are coming from but it would be very very nice if they would actually mm-hmm. take advantage of the full slate of features the switch allows for yeah well and you can and you can go back to the hell you can even talk about the ps five in the same way as well oh yeah the the controller has all these fantastic functionality features that just are are underutilized except for by you know sony Sony. first party titles exactly yeah yeah a very a very similar a similar situation um but all that being said i'm i'm glad that uh the touchscreen functionality apparently works very well with (laughs) with big brain academy to bring it back it works perfectly fine That's yeah. awesome. I will say there's two other things about the game I wanted to talk about. One is sure, the fact sure. that there is no real online. They have like a ghost data oh. similar to mm. Mario Kart. It's huh. odd. Like it works. It's an ample solution, but I just feel like it's weird that the game has no online. Maybe it was like a budgeting reason or something like that, but it's just weird. It's not a huge deal. Honestly, I feel like this is the perfect game. To, like I said, to play with child and parent or just friends. Like it's one of those types of games where it's hard to say like, I'm going to go online and play a game where you have to do like basic math, you know, <laughs> like I feel like no sure. one's going to be doing that with this type of game. So it, it's fine. Like whatever. I will say though, it is so impressive how much character customization is in this game. I was blown away to find out that the more you play the single player and the games themselves and just practice games and take tests and do the usual big brain stuff, you unlock more outfits and stuff for your character. And it's just weird how much personality was dumped into this. It's just odd. It's like, why is there so much of this in here? Like, it's welcoming. Well, it's great. I thought it's a it's very, just odd. it's a very, a very Nintendo thing to go really hard mm-hmm. for just a go game the extra that, mile. Do yeah. you know for a game that no one will play? Like that's that's a that's mm-hmm. absolutely a Nintendo move to like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna really get into the nitty gritty with this one very niche <laughs> game. Like that that doesn't surprise me at all, to be honest. Um, that's very yeah. cool. Th- that's all I really had to say. I mean, for this game, for what it's trying to accomplish, does exact like you said, Cameron, it does exactly what it wants to accomplish. Does it awesome. well. I think it does it honestly better than the prior entries that tried to do competitive multiplayer with these types of games. But sure. there's really nothing else to say about it if if you look at the gameplay and you say that you think this will be fun with friends or are even remotely interested in trying it they have a demo out on the eShop. i say go try it because i think oh, this nice. is something yeah. really fun that a lot of people are just going to miss out on because it's big brain academy in 2021 and i think that doesn't deserve that type of uh i don't want to say death or demise but uh i really think this one's going to fly under the radar Nintendo seems to be expecting the same thing. Game has no advertising. Most people don't even know it's out. I feel like I didn't even see anything on Nintendo's Twitter or YouTube channel about this. So, yeah, I give it the thumbs up. My review will be out for it soon. And sure. all I have really for it outside of, you know, the multiplayer problem, I really have nothing else to complain about it. I feel like this is going to be one of those games that, like, 
over time does really really well for nintendo probably kind of like kind of like how um I can't remember what it was called. That 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 collection of games of like fifty board games or whatever it was that came out on oh, Switch. Oh yeah, 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 worldwide yeah. classics. Um, yeah, worldwide classics. That's what it was. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like it's gonna be one of those where it's just like probably somehow yeah. it's always in the top sellers of the we of the, of the of the Switch eShop. Mm-hmm. Like you know, it's six months from now, it's gonna be like oh everybody's playing this game for some reason. You know, I, I think it's gonna be one mm-hmm. of those. It'll probably uh, be. Yeah, who knows. That's fine. Um, I, I never got to play that game, and I still really do. Yeah. <laughs> Clubhouse games. I feel like that's a game that I've waited for to go on sale. I was even checking during Black Friday to see if it goes. Nothing. But never I mean, goes on Mark, sale. It's a, it's a first-party Nintendo game. What do you yeah, expect? Yeah, but it's, it's Clubhouse games, Campbell. Yes, <laughs> but, it's but Clubhouse but games. Fire Emblem Three Houses has been out for how many years now, and only this holiday season did they get a $20 discount, where it's only $40. <laughs> if a big name like that only got that slight of a discount That's i true. mean it's nintendo you can't really you can't wait on them to to lower their prices <laughs> until the console is literally dead and dying yeah i will yeah. say though if you want a physical of this game i i say go for it now i oh, yeah. really think mm-hmm. this is going to be one of those games where if you don't get it now it's going to be gone forever because i oh, wow. highly highly doubt this is going to go into like a mass production print sure <laughs> you're saying for for hard copies yeah so yeah. I say get it now. It game gets the thumbs up for me. If you already played Big Brain, you already know what you're getting into. If you haven't played it and you're interested, just go download the demo on the eShop. There's really no penalty, you know. No penalty. <laughs> Someone go comes back to, to the to the ten yard line. Someone um, beats you up as soon as you download the demo. Yeah, what did you just download Big Brain Academy? What the hell? Um, that's pretty good. All right, so I guess keep a lookout for for Mark's review of Big Brain Academy. 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 Wow, of course. Mixed up my letters there. We're all using uh, our keep... brain today. Yeah, we're all. <laughs> this is a this is a small brain academy right now. Actually. Small brain academy on this podcast. Uh, so yeah, keep an eye out for that. We're gonna take a quick break or to come back and talk about a little indie spotlight for you all. Uh, so stay tuned, and we'll be right back.
back. So uh, we have a little a little indie spotlight for you all. Uh, a game I've been playing kind of off and on over the last month or so called Unsighted. A very interesting journey for this game. It's kind of become a... I don't know if we can call it a sleeper hit necessarily. Like Indie games are always difficult to qualify in that regard because I don't know what the... You know, I don't know what, like, the numbers required to call it a hit would be. Uh, that being said, it's it's one of those games that I've seen a lot of indie developers talking about it on Twitter. It's one of those ones where if people know about it, they just can't stop talking about it. And it, it always sparks a lot of conversations about, like, wait, what? what's that game? What What's Unsighted? It's really, really, really satisfying and good. I would call it a a Zelda-like, or a, I don't know. I've, I've seen people online calling it a Metroidvania, and I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. It's, um, it is a, 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 a gorgeously animated, pixel art, isometric action game, much in the style of Hyper Light Drifter, or A Link to the Past, or, you know, game, games of that type, sort of that top-down pixelated action game. You you have a melee weapon, you have a gun, and you're kind of cruising around this landscape. There's different dungeons to kind of dip into and out of where you're trying to kind of move through it, defeat mini-bosses, defeat a, a major boss to get, you know, whatever MacGuffin, find five MacGuffins, you, you beat the game. It's that kind of thing. But the presentation, the, kind of the overall package of it is just incredibly well realized have I, n- neither of you guys have played this game right it's, it's just me nope i think it's no, just I you. Haven't played it got it okay uh, so so campbell i keep bugging you <laughs> to play it because yep, dude you would absolutely freaking love it like I, I know we've talked on this podcast before about the impact that hyperlight drifter has had on you as as a writer and as a and as a enjoyer of video games mm-hmm. yep um there's major, major hyper light drifter vibes, and I, I know mm-hmm. it's it's sort of a thing in video games criticism to compare games to other games, and I like I fully understand that that's annoying. Like I I don't love to do it, but it's it's kind of inextricable from from the process. This game invites that comparison directly. Uh, hmm. Your your player character can find a weapon. I, I can't remember what it's called at this moment, but it's called like the hyper light sword or, or, or something like that like <laughs> nice, they are deliberately nice. evoking hyperlight drifter as a direct comparison and i think deservedly so hmm. um, obviously that game has had a huge impact on the indie space and this game is is very much kind of playing in that world it's the thing that to me sticks out about it is there's this framing device over the game that impacts every 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 minute, every moment of gameplay. So the kind of the narrative of this game is you're playing. I, I want to say they're called androids in the game. I, I they might be they're they're not exactly robots, but they're they're sort of sentient uh, cybernetic beings. They've gained sentience through the appearance of an asteroid that landed on the planet and um so all all of these again i'm gonna call them androids for the sake of this podcast i'm pretty sure they're called that in the game Uh, all of these androids have kind of gained um 
actual self actualization. Whether it's the 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 android who manages the shop, or like the 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 android who is your little helper fairy, like all of them have consciousness. It's, they're not just mindless robots, and all of them are are fighting against the urge to to lose that that feeling of I don't know what you want to call it. I've I've said self-actualization earlier in this podcast, so I'll just say that. All of them are slowly losing that ability throughout the entire playtime of this game. All of these androids are losing the ability to think for themselves. All of them are fighting against the urge to, quote-unquote, go unsighted, hence the name of the game. So at every moment of this game... There's an in-game timer, an in-game clock that is counting down. Every time you move from one screen to another, every time you enter a shop or exit a shop, every time you have a conversation with an NPC, that clock ticks down a tiny little bit. And as as these as you meet new characters, you, you notice, huh, they have a little timer by their name that's like, you know, 349 hours. 276 hours, you know, 24 hours, whatever it is. So every time you you do anything in this game, that hour count for every single character in the game ticks down, including for your player character. So everything in this game is operating on this, this ticking clock. And it might sound really stressful, but what it does is it adds a layer of significance to everything that you do. It's it's uh, kind of stressful. <laughs> it's kind of terrifying. <laughs> I was gonna say, but, yeah, but it it's uh, it makes you really think deeply about everything, every choice that you make. Like suddenly gains a layer of significance. Um, as as you progress through this game, as you're battling enemies, as you're you know exploring the overworld, you'll get little notifications that pop up like, "Hey, just a heads up." So-and-so character only has, you know, 42 hours left, only has 10 hours left, only has three hours left. And then every now and then you'll get a notification, hey, that character, they went unsighted. So the next time you go visit them, they're just this mindless machine trying to kill you. Even if it's like, you know, the item shop that you visited a hundred times before, if you don't make an effort to, to save that NPC, you can't visit the item shop anymore. Like it's gone. It's out of it's out of your game. Um, the way you can extend an NPC's in-game timer is you give them a special consumable that you can find, and and they, uh, pretty early on through the game, you find an item that helps you locate those consumables. It's called like um, what's it called? Like like asteroid dust or something, um, and you can give that those those consumables to NPCs to increase their I mean I guess I call it their lifespan by by an additional 24 hours in game so <laughs> so the entire game you're playing through it you're, you're you're finding these consumables and you have to kind of debate with yourself okay do I use this consumable on myself to to extend the time I have to beat the game or do I give it to an NPC? Do I give it to the shopkeeper? Do I give it to the guy who upgrades my weapons? Like, you have to kind of battle with yourself to make these choices over who you're going to save throughout your entire playtime. Uh, 
there's a there's a little companion, kind of a navi like figure. Um, if you're familiar with Ocarina of Time, you know, not like Mark. Uh, there's hey, a, there's a navi like figure who follows you. Watch through. out! <laughs> wow, that was wow. Yeah, listen. Uh, so I gotta, what we're I, saying is, since I'm the one who's played both Ocarina of Time like and Hyper Electric, so I, but I'm the real gamer on the show then, since I like Hyper Light Drifter, Link to the Past, Ocarina of Time. So. Yeah, um, <laughs> I hate to say it, Campbell, but uh, you're, you're you're now the guy. Awesome. Um, so so you have kind of this this Navi like figure who follows you throughout the game, who's kind of giving you tips and tricks as you as you progress through the game who again is slowly dying so throughout my playthrough i've been like i've been like no i have to keep this character alive but this character has less lifespan than a lot of your other npcs so in my current playthrough i have right now this little fairy has only i don't know maybe 50 hours of in-game time and it's not it's not 50 actual hours like to be clear it's only you know it's probably I don't have the, the the numbers in front of me, but but an hour of in-game time and unsighted is not that long. So the, my little fairy character is is gonna die soon, and it's kind of it's kind of messing with me um, oh because gosh. they've been my companion this entire game so far. They've been giving me like, oh, did you know you can swap out your grenades for whatever? Like, it's like I don't want to see that character go away. It's it's uh it's kind of doing something to me. Hmm. All that being said. You can flip off the timer if you want to. If you just want to play oh, the, wow. the game, the game calls it um, explorer mode. If you just want to be able to to play this game as if it's a a less stressful action RPG, kind of like you know, if you do want to make it feel more like Hyperlight Drifter, you can you can flip on explorer mode and not have to worry about the in game clock. But but I I don't know. I think it adds something to the experience to to have this. This looming, kind of like Majora's Mask, this doomsday clock looming over everything you do in Unsighted. I don't know. It, it makes the game feel significant in a way that I was not expecting. Um, it's really good. The action is good. The weapons feel good. The items, the the, the guns and the and the counters and the slashes and the dodging and the rolling, all of the action is really really tight. And all of that again is is given an extra layer of meaning by this ever, ever encroaching in-game timer. I I, I highly recommend this game. I, I Campbell, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna beat this dead horse until you play it. But I, I genuinely <laughs> think you would love it. It's it's very much up your alley. Um, mm-hmm. and, and on top of all that, the pixel art is really really good. And this mm-hmm. game was made by I think two people. Um, obviously, there's like QA and stuff like that going on, but I think it was just two developers um, from from Brazil, Studio Pixel Punk, a uh, really talented uh, group and a, a very very small team, and and what they've accomplished is is pretty special. So I don't know. It's uh, if you're if this is the kind of game that you like, I think it's it's well worth the time. Um, if you if you if you're interested in a challenge, if you're interested in and, and pushing yourself like there, there's a speed running element obviously like the the entire game there's there's a there's the clock going on but there's like there's like in-game achievements and some of them are tied to speed running i think there's an in-game achievement for beating the game in under an hour which oh, wow. I, I i could never 
personally, I could never do that. But it's it's intriguing, and it makes me wonder. Like, I, I would love to see this game at like AGDQ next summer or something like that. It's 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 very much that kind of a game. Like the the strategies to to get the most out of a playthrough, I, I'm sure are, are are cropping up as uh, as it gains more and more popularity. So I don't know if it's if this is if this game is is up your alley. If you like these kinds of games, then I. I can't recommend it enough it's it's so unique it's so special the pixel art is fantastic and uh yeah i if any of that it, it intrigues you i i think it's worth the time for sure yeah that's that's all amazing to hear and i mean cameron i hear it this game does absolutely sound like it's really up my alley especially with all those hyper light drifter comparisons I, I adore that game that truly is one of the games that changed my life and i love games that are in that that kind of style and every time you talk about it, it really does get me excited about unsighted but the thing that's been kind of holding me back a little bit is just that that sheer element of time management which is kind of like one sure. of my my pet peeves in games where it's something that i i sometimes have a hard time handling just because it's it's pretty stressful you know like even playing majora's mask was difficult for me the first time around because of that oh, yeah. that constant looming schedule that you're on even if you can morph it and change it around and speed it up and slow it down just being on that firm deadline was always really stressful to me so it is really nice to hear about the option to even turn it off like i don't know if i yeah. would go that far um to do it but it's nice to have the the ability available now is that something that you can toggle on and off or is it something you, that you have to determine Determine when you start a new game. I'm I'm pretty sure you can toggle it on and off. Mm. Oh wow. Um, I haven't experimented with it myself, so off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you. Let me let's look. Why not? We're talking about it. Unsighted <laughs> Explorer mode. Let's take a look. Doing some real journalistic research here. Uh, that that's us. Yeah, that's this is what we're this is what we're doing. Um, yeah, I think you can. I think hmm. you can. I think you can. Yeah, you can you can do that. You can disable the timers in explore mode. Yeah, I think that's got it. So yeah, so it says it sounds like this game does have some fairly in depth accessibility options. So if if you're worried about the ticking clock, if you're worried about like taking too much damage or dying a lot or something like that, there are options uh, within the game to tweak those kinds of settings, which is pretty cool. I mean, as much as we rave about um, Hyperlight Drifter, I think we can all agree it's a very, very difficult game. And oh yeah. Pretty. There's a. There's definitely some hurdles to overcome. Mm -hmm. Even if you are a fan of old school kind of like Super Nintendo style action RPGs, it's a pretty tough game. And Unsighted does want to give player. It wants players to finish it. Like it. it it's. It's the kind of game where it's like, hey, if you don't want to deal with the ticking clock, you don't have to. If you don't want to deal with. Uh, like dying a lot, you can you can you can tweak that. You can mess with the damage modifiers and and stuff like that. So that's that's a that's very cool. Again, I haven't messed with those those options myself, but it's neat that they are that they're there. It's neat that they exist. Um, obviously, people should be able to play the games they want to play um, how they want to play them. So I think that's uh, that's very cool that that exists in within the game. Um, I don't know. I I think it does. Again, I haven't completed the game yet, so I can't speak to this too much. You can tell that the game was designed with this concept in mind. Mm -hmm. So it might lose a little bit of something if you do that. But that said, listen, if you get the game, do whatever. It's your game at that point. Like, do, do it. I think that uh, this adherence to, like, you have to play it the way the developers intended is, you know, it's a little bit of, like, okay, whatever. So I don't know. If you, if you want to 
mess with the the timers and the difficulty like go for it why not <laughs> who are we who are we to stop you you know yeah don't stop me let me do what i want man yeah i'm always saying this campbell um hedonism at its finest that's, uh, <laughs> that's what we gotta do here right um so yeah unsighted it's really good studio pickles uh sorry i keep messing up the name studio pickle. <laughs> studio pickle Studio Pickle Punk. That's not a Studio Pickle is a great name for an indie studio, by the way. Can we copyright that? Can we just uh, do that real fast? I'm going to do that right studio... now. I think we should name ours Pastrami on Rye when we eventually. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell who's from the East, East Coast here is, uh, is Mark. Uh, studio Pixel Punk did a fantastic job with this game, and I, I hope that they're able to create more games in the future because this one really is something special. Um, I wrote a short little piece about it, a little indie snippet over on Goomastomp.com. It's very much, uh, you know, I think it's worth reading in my humble opinion. Um, that being said, any other indie games we want to spotlight before we before we call it a night? A little bit of a shorter podcast uh, this, this this time around, but I, th- I think there's I think we're all kind of waiting on end of the year stuff to break before we before we uh, yeah next week's have a the, show. Uh, the tsunami. <laughs> oh yeah, it's going to be a big tsunami, and I imagine they're going to announce mm-hmm. some some kind of huge game at the Game Awards. I, it probably won't be on the level of uh, of Sephiroth appearing in Smash Ultimate, but hopefully something cool will be announced at the Game Awards for Nintendo fans. Breath of the Wild all... three. Probably some, <laughs> truthfully though, probably some kind of a Breath of the Wild trailer, like an extended gameplay trailer or something. Like it wouldn't shock me, you know. Yeah. I forgot what game it was, but there was one game actually at the Game Awards last year where they announced a sequel to a game that wasn't even out yet, and it was like a Japanese <laughs> RPG. And I just remember just laughing hysterically, being like, "The game's not even out, and we're already talking about a sequel." <laughs> That's so funny. I mean, my, yeah, it's, my uh, favorite Game Awards moment from last year was when they had like a 10 minute trailer for like an ARC sequel, ARC Survival Evolved, that had Vin Diesel in it. Oh my God. <laughs> I forgot about that. My favorite part was, was so when long. I fell asleep after Safaroff was announced. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. Aside oh, from man. Vin Diesel in prehistory, like there was nothing else that memorable from that show. <laughs> yeah, what a, what a strange. The, 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 uh, I love the musical segment. They did oh, yeah, like a true. kind of like a, like a live orchest- orchestration thing. Oh yeah, they always the, do you know, that the, for the, the Animal the Crossing winners. music yeah, yeah. and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. That was really really surprisingly cool. epic rendition of the Animal Crossing music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully they they drop something cool for for Nintendo fans at this year's Game Awards. We'll find out. We got a couple of days to mm-hmm. to get hype about it. Um, I can't wait to see ex- the Lord of the Rings Gollum because we can finally know the perspective of a drug addict <laughs> <laughs> Oof. oh boy it's uh yeah who knows who knows what will be revealed so i think we could probably call it there uh i've been your host cameron dax and you can find some of my writing over at goombastomp.com uh, at the aforementioned unsighted indie snippet is up on the website i also have a review out for chorus as well as uh inscription and wildermyth and a bunch of under indie games that uh came out this year uh, you can find me over on Twitter. I'm at Action Daxon. And Mark, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me at the Markel. That, of course, is Mark with the C, Cal with the K. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter. Right now, up on Goombastomp.com, I have... Well, I'll have coverage for uh, Big Brand Academy by the time this episode is up. And, of course, Hawkeye every single week. So you can look forward to that. There you go. And, uh, Campbell, where can people find you? 
You can find me on Twitter at CampbellSkill, uppercase CSG, and you can find my games writing over at GoombaStomp.com. Uh, my most recent article is an interview feature based on our interview with the delightful Celia Schilling from last week's episode of the show, all about Shovel Knight Pocket Dungeon. So give that article a look to see some of the highlights from last week's show, and you can look forward to more excellent Shovel Knight Pocket Dungeon content coming out soon, as well as an indie game spotlight coming up this weekend wonderful and express is also available to uh find on twitter as well as the podcast platform of your choice we are at an express nintendo give us a follow and uh you know a like and uh you know all those good things and we're on spotify podgeen podgeen what the hell podbean <laughs> apple podcasts all, all available to download and rate and review more engagement helps more people find the show which is always good for us thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you next time 